Welcome to Osler's Legal Year in Review, where we share insights on key legal developments in 2021 and their implications for Canadian business. In this article, Look Before You Leap, Impact of Recent Developments in Indigenous Law, we review key factors impacting businesses involved in infrastructure or resource development, which is affected by Indigenous law and whose businesses potentially impact Indigenous economic interests. Indigenous law in Canada has evolved significantly over the last decade, and 2021 was no exception. While the past year was overshadowed by the tragic discovery of unmarked graves at former residential school sites and resulting pressures to advance reconciliation with Indigenous peoples, 2021 also included significant developments in Indigenous law affecting infrastructure and resource development, including 1 the Federal United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, otherwise known as the UNDRIP Bill, receiving royal assent. 2. The British Columbia Supreme Court's ruling that cumulative effects of industrial development infringed the treaty rights of a BC First Nation. And 3. The Federal Court's recognition of the Crown's duty to consult regarding economic benefits linked to Aboriginal rights. These developments are likely to have significant impacts on infrastructure and resource development. Aboriginal and treaty rights, and partnerships with Indigenous groups in the coming years. Federal UNDRIP Bill Becomes Law On June 21, 2021, Bill C-15, the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples Act, received royal assent. The Act is Canada's first substantive step towards ensuring federal laws reflect the standards outlined in UNDRIP, a non-binding international instrument that sets out the minimum standards for the survival, dignity, and well-being of the Indigenous peoples of the world. The Act sets out two key goals. 1. Affirm UNDRIP as a universal international human rights instrument with application in Canadian law. 2. Provide a framework for the Government of Canada to implement UNDRIP. The Act requires Canada, in consultation with Indigenous peoples, to take all measures necessary to ensure that Canada's federal laws are consistent with UNDRIP. To accomplish this, the Act requires the designated minister to, within two years, prepare and implement an action plan to achieve the objectives of UNDRIP. The Act also requires federal lawmakers, when adopting new statutes and amendments, to consider whether they are consistent with UNDRIP. Perhaps most notably, UNDRIP requires states to obtain free, prior, and informed consent in their consultations with Indigenous peoples. Although the stated intention is not for free, prior, and informed consent to operate as a veto power, the concept of free, prior, and informed consent will likely change current consultation approaches and the practical expectations of parties involved in such consultations. The Act's implementation will also likely strengthen incentives for proponents to partner with Indigenous groups in project development, thereby achieving their free, prior, and informed consent obligations. Cumulative Effects of Industrial Development and Treaty Rights In Yahe v. British Columbia, the B.C. Supreme Court ruled that the rights of Blueberry River First Nations, or Blueberry First Nations for short, under Treaty 8 had been infringed by the cumulative impacts of decades of industrial development within Blueberry First Nations' traditional territory in Northeast B.C. This precedent-setting decision represents the first time a Canadian court has found an infringement of Indigenous treaty rights based on the cumulative impacts of policies and permitted development over decades, rather than based on a specific action or regulatory regime. 
Following a trial, the B.C. Supreme Court concluded that B.C. had taken up lands in Blueberry First Nations traditional territory to such an extent that there were no longer sufficient and appropriate lands to allow Blueberry First Nations members to meaningfully exercise their treaty rights. The court also ruled that the government of B.C., having had notice of Blueberry First Nations' concerns, but having permitted the cumulative impact of industrial development to erode Blueberry First Nations' treaty rights, breached its fiduciary duty and its obligation to Blueberry First Nations under Treaty 8. B.C. thereby failed to uphold the honor of the Crown. As a result of these failures, the B.C. Supreme Court declared that 1. B.C. cannot continue to authorize activities in Blueberry First Nations' traditional territory that infringe Blueberry First Nations' exercise of treaty rights, and 2. B.C. and Blueberry First Nations must negotiate timely enforcement mechanisms to assess and manage the cumulative effects of industrial development. The B.C. Supreme Court suspended the first declaration for six months to provide B.C. and Blueberry First Nations time to negotiate a new regulatory framework. B.C. determined not to appeal the decision. Yahe has direct and serious implications for future development in Blueberry First Nations traditional territory, which covers most of northeast BC, including the Site C hydroelectric dam, most of the natural gas production in BC, and several other resource developments, including mines, wind projects, and forestry operations. While BC and Blueberry First Nations are actively negotiating changes to the regulatory process to comply with Yahe, it is unclear what changes will ultimately be agreed to when this agreement will be struck, and how other Treaty 8 First Nations in Northeast BC, many of whose territories overlap with Blueberry First Nations, will be involved in the process. In the meantime, BC has suspended its review of all new permit applications in Blueberry First Nations territory and has also indefinitely suspended several existing permits in areas of special interest to Blueberry First Nations. In effect, Yahe has given Blueberry First Nations substantial control if not a veto, over the future of resource development in Northeast BC. The effects of Yahe are not likely to be confined to Northeast BC. The Yahe decision demonstrates a viable path to establishing an infringement of treaty rights on the basis of cumulative effects. Many parts of Canada have seen material population growth as well as infrastructure and or resource development since the time of historic treaties with Indigenous groups. We expect Yahe will lead to similar cumulative effects claims across Canada, particularly across the prairies and northern Ontario, under the historic, numbered treaties similar to Treaty 8. Such claims could inject further uncertainty into Canada's regulatory approval processes and, if successful, could significantly change the future of resource and infrastructure development in Canada. Duty to Consult and Economic Rights in Erminskin Cree Nation v. Canada, Environment and Climate Change, Canada's federal court expressly recognized that the Crown must consult with Indigenous groups that have negotiated economic benefit agreements with resource developers before the Crown takes any action to delay or deny such developments. In Erminskin, Erminskin Cree Nation had entered into benefits agreements with Colspur Mines Limited, respecting the potential impacts of its two proposed thermal coal projects in Alberta. While Colesburg's projects did not trigger the Federal Impact Assessment Act, the Federal Minister of Environment and Climate Change decided to designate Colesburg's projects under the Impact Assessment Act without notifying Erminskin. This decision created the potential for significant delays to Colesburg's projects that could eliminate Erminskin's economic interests under the benefit agreements. Erminskin challenged the decision on the basis that the minister had breached the Crown's duty to consult. 
the federal court found that the Crown owed Erminskin a duty to consult respecting the decision's potential to adversely affect Erminskin's economic rights. The duty to consult arose because Erminskin's economic rights are closely related to and derived from its Aboriginal and treaty rights. Since there was no consultation at all in this case, the Crown failed to fulfill its consultation duty, and as such, the federal court quashed the decision. Erminskin establishes that Indigenous groups have the right to be consulted whenever Crown conduct may affect their economic interests in resource development. Many Indigenous groups have substantial economic interests in resource development, and this decision highlights the value of Indigenous partnerships both for the proponents and those Indigenous groups. Outlook We encourage resource and infrastructure developers across Canada to keep abreast of changes in Indigenous law and incorporate Indigenous considerations at the outset of project development. While the law in this area continues to evolve and often presents challenges and risks for new projects, it also creates opportunities for proponents who proactively identify and manage these issues. In particular, for projects that will affect specific Indigenous groups, Partnerships or other forms of benefit agreements with those Indigenous groups may allow the developer to successfully manage project regulatory risk, while also providing meaningful benefits to local Indigenous communities. Legal Year in Review is brought to you by Osler, Hoskin and Harcourt LLP. Osler is a leading national law firm with a singular focus, your business. We advise clients on an array of domestic and cross-border legal issues, drawing on the expertise of over 450 lawyers to provide the answers you need when you need them. Our Legal Year in Review provides general information only and does not constitute legal or other professional advice. Specific advice should be sought in connection with your circumstances. For more information about Osler, please visit our website at osler.com.